Peter Radio presents the legendary Pink Dots Project Podcast with me, Adam Wybray, my co-host, Tom May. Chemical Play School, three and four. And faces in the fire. Chemical Play School 3 and 4 is another gargantuan release, disparate in its balancing of marathon soundscapes with off-kilter tunes and a greater-than-before quota of politics. The top upends the kitchen sink myth associating Joe Lampton with synthetic manliness. Neon Gladiators version 1 is tremendous proto-acid house a deranged stomper with gadding bass and dovetailing squalls of synth and guitar and gleaming off-centre synth organ. Chaos is evoked, capsizing walls, condemned criminals and a reference to statuary. Obsession is a dank, glum guitar confessional, not all that far from Peter Hamill's album Over from 1977. My charity's all gone, like those records that you stole when you rolled up our relationship and slipped out unannounced. Christ, you even took the cat. When the clock strikes 13 is less Orwell than a French film take on Bonnie and Clyde. Curse, the sequel, is one of those early LPD guitar-led songs like the television personalities, but infinitely more macabre, with evocative sampling of the cartoon Betty Boop version of Arthur Freed and Nacio Herb Brown's All I Do Is Dream Of You transporting us back into Broadway, Hollywood dreamland. Hideous Strength is a tale of a man transformed into a lion and then being incarcerated, a story of power echoing Greek myth um, of the lovers Hippomenes and Atalanta being metamorphosized into lions by Cybele. It has striding Aslanish bass. There's more glistening organ, as in Neon Gladiators. Kittens go to heaven. Swamp juice drifted up the stairs as Leo washed his hair in soap to a lion. Well, it's what the mirror told him, like his burgers.
saying before I started recording that Chemical Play School 3 and 4 and Faces in the Fire, the EP, mark a bit of a shift, um, perhaps in some of the lyrical preoccupations, uh, and definitely the music and the texture of the music and the organic sounds that are being brought in here, and particularly the guitar playing, I think, and the acoustic guitar in this period of 82 to 83. So yeah, in what what way do you think that these these albums, starting with Chemical Play School, volumes three and four, mark a shift? I think there's uh, there's a shift towards the tower mythology. You've got I think um, at least three tracks, possibly even four, on Chemical Play School three and four that um, are entitled Tower um, with with the numbers. Yes, so you have the early version of Tower 1, uh, then Tower 2, which is quite similar to the one that ends up on the tower, uh, and Tower 3. And then, interestingly, I would say that here, um, surprise, surprise, uh, is sort of enfolded into the tower mythology. is a sort of premature ending, Um and uh, perhaps a more um, <laughs> a more optimistic ending from from the dots' perspective, uh, in as much as uh, Edward's narrator seems to blow up all the main antagonists of the tower, so the the, the general and these various lackeys all just get exploded uh, very promptly, and that's the end of them. <laughs> um, which is quite nice, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but in the tower, of course, uh, I think it's. Uh, Fought through a bit is less of a V for Vendetta ending, um, and uh, yeah, le- less of an escape from uh, the kind of powers of autocratic conservatism. <laughs> I think there's a real uh, expanded focus on on cats as well on this. Uh, on yeah, the, uh, tigers like wrestling tigers, real men wrestle tigers. It's a line I've got noted down. I'm sure which track on Chemical Play School three and four, but um, and you've got. Um, obviously, Kitto on Faces in the Fire, and then <laughs> cans and cans of Kitto. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the hideous, hideous strength. Um, which, if I was picking the track, it would pro- which I'm not. But if I was selecting the track for Chemical Play School three or four, that would probably be my pick. Actually, well, I'll definitely give it a decent clip of it because uh, it is a wonderful track. It has some great meowing, uh, plaintive, pained meowing uh, from Carspell. Uh, and obviously, yeah, you, you have uh, also the the line um, on a different track that I think we've had before. You even took the cat, uh, which I think crop crops up on Kitto. So so yeah yeah, cat cats as as figures of identification. You know, characters believing they've transformed into cats. Cats, big cats, as symbols of uh, masculine virility. 
and maybe imperialism, paper tigers, uh, and uh, cats. Cats as markers of relationships, uh, possession over cats, cats as domestic pets. Uh, cat Cats even as, I guess, the subjects of advertising. Indeed, yeah. I mean, you've got great little tracks like uh, Lullaby for Charles's Brother as well, which I think anticipates, I don't know, more of that sort of sea shanty or folk song element that does come through on some of the more 90s albums, I think. I'm struggling mm. to think exactly which tracks, but it's it seems a sort of new turn in terms of what we've seen so far. I really like that. Yeah. One. Yeah, and this sort of lyrical focus on these dispossessed, alienated individuals that you get in asylum. And then you get these long, kind of ambient soundscapes, um, kind of recall um, dystopian sci-fi films, and even a Razorhead. Um, some of them, like uh, listening to some of those those long tracks. Um, just cut them up like regular chickens? Sure, just cut them up like regular chicken. In terms of the track I choose, um, it, it, it's possibly not wholly representative of the album, although it's hard to pick a representative of another sprawling album like this. You know, this compilation um, spans over two, you know, spans two CDs on the reissue. And uh, I think... Yeah, I'd probably choose She Said, um, has the similar sort of arpeggioed music as Film of the Book, um, but yeah, I find it crushing, actually. I, I, I find it a, a really moving song. Um, it's very intimate. Um, it feels confessional, you know, I'm not normally drawn to assume that Carspell's lyrics are autobiographical, but I think it is tempting to read that here. You know, obviously you can't know, but it feels like an intimate and personal song. She said no complications been hurt too many times before Each time gets a little harder Hurt you if you stay for more Different last night You were a tiger on the brow Scary But attractive to me You don't attract me now Phoning 
See, I guess I much prefer it lyrically because I feel it's more of a conversation. In those earlier tracks, um, like like Obsession, um, the uh, the partner, I think generally uh, we're dealing with female partners here, but the woman is sort of the lost object, basically. Um, and, you know, that there is some self-awareness about this that, you know, male narrators are meant to be read as a bit over self-pitying and self-dramatising, I think. So there is some bathos, just as much as pathos here. Um, but it's very insular and solipsistic and mopey. And I think she said does really bring in that dialogue. It brings in more of a conversation. Um, it feels more dialectic. Um, it doesn't just feel like it's from a kind of male point of view. You know, you understand the hurt, but you understand where the female voice is coming from too. You know, it sounds like a crappy situation um, rather than anyone clearly to blame. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that shows a kind of growth in the maturity of the lyricism. Um, and And I find it sadder. I find it more convincing. So sing, sing while you may. 1983 was the last year that Ed Caspar would spend in London before he decamped to Amsterdam. And you can tell listening to Chemical Play School 3 and 4 that he was sick to the back teeth of living in Thatcher's Britain. While it's nigh on impossible to make any encompassing judgments about a compilation that is approximately two hours long, many of the tracks feel strung out and disconsolate, even by the dots' typically restless standards. There are slow, contemplative pieces characterised by foggy drones and Carspell's plaintive knowing whisper, such as she said, but these are islands of uneasy respite, amongst long stretches of skittish dissonance. Even a piece like the Plasma Twins, that starts out sounding like one of the Dots' cosmic soundscapes, in this case a rather lovely Brian Eno-ish composition, though ever so slightly threatening, ends up transforming into a looping cycle of whining guitar that sounds like a wasp trapped in a kazoo, and an ominous shark-toothed bassline they would sit uncomfortably somewhere on Portishead's third. The narrator of the Plasma Twins sounds tetchy and testosterone charged in the grotesque, predatory way we previously encountered on Thursday Night Fever on Only Dreaming, but here he is diminished and vampiric, clawing and needy. His invitation, I'll show you my muscles, if you give me your corpuscles, I'll have your blood, you'll have my seed. Repels, though Edward sounds seductive and solicitous. 
Elsewhere, the album's lyrics offer Flight's fantastical release from suburban squalor, which warp into troubling hedonistic visions or hysterical reveries of violence. The opening track on my edition of the album, The Light in My Little Girl's Eyes, begins with a lyrical equivalent of an establishing shot that tracks across the city's streets, taking in the smell of coffee, shops stacked with stereos, and the sun dancing on the chromium of limousines. Lights turn red, a car crashes, and in a moment of strange alchemy, the paving stones turn to playing cards, and the singer finds himself ushered away to the palace of the Blackest Queen. Soon, in the throes of animalistic passion, they are tearing chunks of flesh from each other, gobbling down body parts, like the lovers of Claire Denise's trouble every day. What starts as a simple procession of chords on the keyboard builds and stages, adding in brisk, purposeful drumming, a gloomy yet funky bass courtesy of Roland Calloway, vocal echoes, tight little flurries of guitar, weird treated keyboard sounds. Until Carswell is calling out a repeated refrain of Brighter Now! Brighter Now! The name of an album from the previous year that indicates how early in their career the Dotsis began building a self-referential mythology across their discography. Neon Gladiators, which sounds like cross-eyed and painless from Talking Heads' Remain in Light, played on low battery in a dingy video arcade, conjures a scene of shag-pile carpeted opulence before summarily smashing it to pieces for a murderous cavalcade of sword-wielding living statues. Similarly, the party of chin-wagging socialites and military bigwigs in Surprise Surprise is gleefully blown to smithereens by a present-wrapped bomb. Although the effect is rather more like a scene from The Young Ones than The Anarchist's Cookbook, especially since Carswell manages to crowbar throwaway innuendo, it was a master bake into the lyrics. On this collection, Outcasts and nonconformists don't fare much better than members of the establishment, however. Carswell's sympathies are clearly with the deviants, not the army of the upright, to use Virginia Woolf's phrase, though he never outright romanticises mental illness or alienation. Leo, the character in Hideous Strength, believes himself to be a lion, a natural extension of his taste for raw meat the conclusion he reaches by observing his long hair in the mirror. Leo is clearly very unwell, but his vibrancy and virility seems far healthier than the masculinity of the vampiric narrator of the aforementioned Plasma Twins, or the moody brooding of the lovesick obsessives of The Waiting Game, She Said, or indeed, Obsession. Another alienated anti-hero is the lone activist of Lullaby for Charles's brother. The song sounds like a nursery rhyme played on keyboards submerged underwater. Just couldn't see the systems one, one. 
The talk of piggies in blood across the wall and the name Charles summons the spectre of Charles Manson. Indeed, there is something of the soured idealism of 1969 on this album. A film by Jean-Luc Godard watched on a lossy VHS cassette. With the density of lyrics on Chemical Place Score 3 and 4, it's very easy for the listener to disengage from the music, experiencing it as background furniture for Carspell's storytelling. This becomes especially pronounced in his later solo work, in which lyrics are sometimes spoken rather than sung, and longer tracks like The Voyeur from 2012's Ghost Logic essentially function as short stories. Indeed, this review is focused perhaps a little too exclusively on the album's lyrics, and it is worth turning to the instrumental tracks to give them the consideration they deserve. Film of the Book is a deeply lovely mirage of a song, sounding like the music that might play in some celestial cathedral in a Japanese RPG. It's crystalline and plaintive, Pachelbel's canon in D as dreamt by an alien civilization. I feel as though I might have encountered it before on an earlier release, but it hardly matters when the music is so soothing, especially on an album that often makes for uncomfortable or anxious listening. Collapse sounds crueler and more sardonic, an insidious little tune that recalls the mangled and diminished refrains of Fats Waller on the soundtrack of David Lynch's Eraserhead. It segues very pleasingly into the non-instrumental track, Power 2. The wonderfully named Barbed Obituary is a wash of glooming keyboards. Espresso Curfew might have been recorded in the engine rooms of a Vogon constructor ship. The Bride War Green is curious but pleasing, and reminds me a little of one of my favourite early Dots tracks, Voices, if only for the wind effects. Premonition 10 is a bewitching medley-cum-soundscape of backtrapped choirs and percussive drums. It sounds like it might have been built from the same Notre Dame field recordings that composed Basilisk 2 on the 1982 album of the same name. Grind is another long soundscape, though it only really gets interesting near the end of the track. It would, to its credit, fit in nicely alongside the more abstract pieces on BBC Three's Late Junction. Apocalypse Gone is like a horrible deconstruction of a Shostakovich violin concerto. Finally, It's Raining, again, contains some really interesting sounds, the origins of which are difficult to discern. It's non-essential, but would make super background music for a David Firth animation. Chemical Play School 3 and 4 is long enough that it seems reasonable to save discussion of the Tower tracks for the Tower album itself, where they acquire more muscular production, bring Carspell's vocals to the fore, and really come into their own. It is fascinating to hear these tracks emerge from the foggy production of the Dots' very early years, they become more direct, more visceral, and acquire an even greater depth of sardonic bile and political desperation later. They also become funkier. The tracks, Tower 1, Tower 2, and Tower 3, are wonderful here, of course, but they're swamped by the surrounding material. Although it is sometimes frustrating when a band revisits material, I'm very glad that the Dots decided to do so with these tracks. So, Chemical Place School 3 and 4 is a heady, disorienting, and often gloomy mix. The quality is high, so it's a lot to imbibe in one sitting. Of particular note are Carspell's vocals. He manages to be theatrical without ever being anything less than convincing. A track like She Said, which I otherwise find musically forgettable, is saved by Carspell's crap delivery and mournful tones. As a listener, you're often thrust into the strange position of sympathiser, bemused onlooker, victim, co-conspirator by turns. He's knowing, tainted, and faintly abject on the odd nasty ditty glad he ate her. He sounds like a drugged up and emaciated ghoul on the top, 
that talk of a belly full of seeds. On cherry lipstick he is needy, wretched, pouring. He cries and whispers like Robert Smith on Just Passing Over, Lovely. To quote T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, he do the police in different voices. The 59-second Gladiator continues the dystopian, while Tower 3 begins with the echo of a thousand marching boots hammers on the air in the lyric. It's a queasy, frenzied account of entitled feeling far-right boot boys colluding with the authorities to put down non-white people and CND. Carspell 
details a living room. It is unclear whose, with Playboy-style pinups, pictures of the Queen, and a homely proverb, home is where the heart is, forming a tellingly contradictory collage, signifying Stuart Hall's convincing theory of Thatcher's authoritarian populism, as he came up with um, as long ago as early 1979. The song goes on to detail a cow's unquestioning public turning blind eyes while patriots stay indoors, warmed by their leader's promise of a new golden age. I think you've got an interesting move on this. Um, well, there's, there's, there's a thing I've noted down, she's trying to thread the two releases together, talk about it. Um, that there's a focus on um, corporeal things, so lions, statues, towers, uh, sunsets, on a few occasions, taking on a very deep mythical significance uh, that these meanings are represented uh, by the parts of the vast iceberg that's submerged beneath the water's surface. And, you know, the visual metaphor used in structuralist semiotics. Uh, so they're sort of the unspoken rules underlying behaviour, sort of subconscious attachments to natural phenomena or man-made symbols, you know, such as the British flag. Or dare I say, it's Edward Colston's statue, perhaps. Um, but it might also, in, yeah. Yeah, interestingly, though, these are the kind of classical images or, or images of empire that get reconfigured in vaporwave, right? In vaporwave aesthetics. So immediately when you were talking about statues and sunsets, I was pitching vaporwave album covers and YouTube compilations. Yeah, well, there's also um, cinema with uh, Chris Marker's um, statues also die, I think it, isn't it? Yeah, because statues never die, I think Carl Spell says. The line's slightly different. Um, I'm assuming it, he may well have seen that film. It's a 1950s half-hour documentary about Western theft of African art. I haven't actually. It's on YouTube, um, actually. That yes, yeah, it's, it's a it's a good film. Okay, great, great. thank you. Um, um, the about, film that yeah, came that appropriation. Came... The film that came to my mind, which I watched quite recently, um, uh, after a Jeanette Thomas kind of short film that revisited it, uh, was the Black Tower, um, by John Smith. If you've seen that, and I think um, this extends to Faces in the Fire by uh, bringing in Sigmund Freud's idea of the human mind as a sort of mental iceberg with the id totally submerged and most of the superego also submerged uh, that fits in with Faces in the Fire with its focus on various products that are directly appealing to the desires. So obviously Edward Bernays, who was Freud's nephew, it's worth mentioning here and how he um, flogged cigarettes to women with the torches of freedom campaign in the 1920s sort of playing on women's ideas of wanting equality uh, with men in a very clever sort of insidious way to make them take up smoking yeah that's uh, a figure and story followed by adam curtis in the century of the self a 2002 documentary series Faces in the Fire EP. This is a legendary Pink Dots uh, release that swiftly satirises consumerism with occasional hints of the sort of blissed-out parody and exaggeration deployed later in the decade by the excellent band Sudden Sway. Blasto charges out of the paddock, aka the speakers, like a village morning tannoy announcement for Patrick McGowan's number six in The Prisoner. This orally garish, wakey-wakey call fades into syncopated yet calm rhythm. From 2 minutes 03 is a chord sequence that is absurdist anthemic, 
It is an amazingly winsome tune as Carspell croons about the eponymous product's proficiency, even for the stubborn stains. And April White sweetly coos, blast away the stains. We are in heavenly advert hell as hymnal organ and plaintively melodious lead electric guitar connote a consumerist sublime verging into the absurd. Love in a plain brown envelope is bizarre, like William Gibson fed through a shredder, and the grannies with the antelopes from Lapland. Oh, so horny. Who else but Carspell could come up with this? Sleezo is one of those distilled, anti-traditional LPD broadsides moving from crystal clear guitar opening to beatless synth washes. A European female voice assumes the persona, the persona of the Sleezo brand, outlining its merits in an advertising mode. The Britain of David Sullivan and Richard Desmond is writ large. We then get an elaborated neon gladiators with a gleaming surrealist fairground synth cycle bursting from the chrysalis from 2 minutes 47 seconds. This is serene, unknowable stuff. A religious sample is followed by the returning resplendent cyclical synth pattern which mirrors the lyric. Dance divine, dance in sequins. Next, the brief Kitto, a toy town vaudevillian canter concerning a taciturn cat. The cat's crazed cravings are for yet another cultural product uh, with an O on the end. Not porn this time, but a cat food, Kitto, consisting of chunky chicken marrow bone. You could have left the cats a little company to talk and never said a word except when he was hungry. Well, were you like that? Now I'm on my own, just your picture and the phone. Twenty-seven cans of kitto, chunky chicken My hair is silky smooth and I'll burn if you're nice to me. So call me, catch me if you can. Closes with the ominous impressionistic psychedelia of eight minutes to live. The products are vanished, but the colourblind Caroline may be dreaming in a manner akin to advertising sublime. She dreamed of golden sunsets and a sea of soldier blue. The song resolves into nocturnal reverie and identity doubts. Is the daytime just a dream? If you close your eyes, will I fade away? The guitar is aching, yearning, and altogether sunset-like in its sprawl. Tom has already described Blasto beautifully as a consumerist sublime veering into the absurd which strikes me as an apt microcosm for much of the album in total. In tone, Faces in the Fire is as focused as the previous year's Vasilisk. Thematically, it is the most coherent statement the Dots have produced up to this point. The EP circles obsessively around the topic of consumerism and its psychosexual effects upon our private lives. Blasto begins with two notes ringing out right behind the listener's eyeballs, before the game show Siren is a rhythmically intruded upon by an insistent drum machine beat and stabs a post-punk guitar, courtesy of Strep Majest. Of course, there were many post-punk bands for the period who combined oppressive, paranoid atmospherics with funky disco rhythms, 
all delivered with a cocked eyebrow. Their LPD's material stands out in its defiant awkwardness and ability to find grace and beauty in the ugliest of sounds and images. Lyrically, the song concerns a man violently assaulted and molested by a bunch of thugs. Hunched up in a little ball, they fooled around and grabbed his balls and called him names and bled him dry. Eventually, he finds his way to a friendly doorbell and is given solace with a glass of lemonade and a warm bed for the night. However, his blood soaks through his clothes and the sheets. Edward's exhortation that he'd better get the blasto out to blast away the stains sarcastically evidences the woeful inadequacy of consumerism to address trauma and suffering. Comparatively, the lyrics to Love in a Plain Brown Envelope are a bit too crude and on the nose for my liking but maybe that's just my Puritan impulses speaking. The song takes the form of an advertising spiel from, I believe, the Sleezo Company. They seem to have had a stronghold in the 1980s porno racket, promising a perfect land of crannies and fannies and lubricated lips. A la Baudrillard, the too-muchness of pornography leaves no place for fantasy, aggressively replacing human desire with simulacra spewed forth from the cold, dead hand of the market. Musically, this is represented by Frankie teardrop-like throbbing and mechanically lurching violins. The sound is arresting, but nauseous. There's nothing much left of vulnerable Nath, Edward Carspell on Faces in the Fire. Such gentler emotions will return, but for now, Carspell is the sleazy ringmaster. Sleezo starts with a lovely piece of fingerstyle guitar, plaintive but vaguely ominous. The fact that this is in combination with swampy electronic vocal sounds and washes of keyboard synth makes this sound like something from Air's 10,000 Hz Legend album. LPD have done delicate, nostalgia-inducing acoustic guitar before, but it's rather beautiful here, and I think it's a shame to render that beauty ironic and ugly with a sudden recurrence of the Sleezo Company's sales pitch. The song has a similar grubby melancholy to, I imagine, chatting with a babe station employee on live TV at 3 o'clock in the morning in an empty apartment on the day your partner broke up with you. Still, I rather wish it'd just been pretty. I prefer the original version of Neon Gladiators that appeared on Chemical Place School 3 and 4, which was a bit more glitchy and degraded than the cracking violin blips we get here. The song's arguably less messy here, but I find it less exciting. Carspell again keeps it sleazy. Kito, meanwhile, is very slight, but ludicrous enough to make my mum laugh out loud when I try to describe the song to her. The song's premise seems to be an advertisement for cat food given from the point of view of a man who, his partner having left him and taken the cat with him or her, is the ecstatic owner of 27 cans of Kito. Mmm, moans Carspell orgasmically. Kito's nice. I love it. Finally, Eight Minutes to Live might have been well served by including the street preacher samples that instead garner neon gladiators. It seems to be a about a couple at the end of the world, and sounds more like something from previous album Curse than anything else in the EP. This is Train the Dots of Tread Before, with, in my view, stronger tracks like The Glory the Glory, Apocalypse Soon, and When the Clock Strikes Thirteen. It is pleasingly ominous, though, and a good appetizer for the brilliant work to come next with The Tower. But yeah, there's this, I guess, reification of desire going on in the Faces in the Fire EP. So Faces in the Fire is a, a great starting place um, for for more tentative listeners who want to start with a kind of shorter release. It's about half an hour, I think. Um, and each track's a zinger. Um, it's... Yeah, they're, they're not ambient soundscapes. These are definitely songs uh, and bear some resemblance even to advertisement jingles. It's sort of a progression in a way from the 
the sort of arcade game, video game aesthetics that we've talked about in some of the mm. previous episodes, a sort of a natural follow-on from that, really, I think, as well, in a more concentrated format on one EP. So at least two of these tracks are ostensibly about pornography, right? So you've got Love in a Plain Brown Envelope and Sleezo, which seems to kind of follow on from it. Like, do you read them as essentially being critical of pornography? It's a difficult question to, to answer, uh, which came out of what you were, I think, saying in the original blog. You were comparing um, Love in a Plain Brown Envelope to Jarvis Cocker's really interestingly complicated voice in This Is Hardcore, weren't you, I think? <clears throat> I think it's yeah, it's bit, it's sort of troublingly uncertain, I suppose. So sing, sing while you may. <laughs> um, I mean, Neon Gladiators would probably be my track if I was choosing uh, from this EP. Um, although we have already played Neon Mariners uh, on on our yeah, first episode, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so have you chosen a track for Faces in the Fire? I think I'm going to go with the opener, actually, Blasto, mm. um, which has a wonderful vocal appearance by April White in it. It really, really makes it a very sort of droll, deadpan vocals from April. Um, Blast away the stains. <laughs> it's that, that bit, isn't it? It's, it's a great tune, really. Um, very tuneful. Excellent sort of electric guitar work and interesting little detours in, in, in the tune. Um, just very well worked out, odd, odd little sort of pop song in a way, Blasto.
Legendary Pink Dots Project Podcast was commissioned by Carl Neville for Repeater Radio and is adapted from blog articles written by myself and Tom May for kiddiesneezes.com, hosted by Matt Keeley. Matthew and John Robinson have previously written for the Legendary Pink Dots Project blog, but any words used here are mine and Tom's own. All art is modified by myself, Adam Wybrain, from work in the public domain by the English visionary William Blake. Thanks go to The Dots, Edward Carspell and Phil Knight, but especially Ignit Van Kasturen for her contribution to Sleezo. Apart from those named and introduced, The Dots tracks used for sections longer than 30 seconds were The Top, Neon Gladiators, The Plasma Twins, Grind, Lullaby for Charles's Brother, Film of the Book, Apocalypse Gone, It's Raining Again, Gladiator, Sleezo, Kitto, Eight Minutes to Live, Barbed Obituary, Espresso Curfew, and The Glory, The Glory. Any clips smaller than that you can work out for yourselves and sing. Sing while you may. <laughs>